Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you know sometimes i feel like as american believers we really take for granted our faith and the ability that we have to exercise our faith so freely and so this morning may be a little bit of a heavy word But my trust in the Lord is that by the time we leave, that we will have such great joy uh, considering the Savior that we serve, that we would leave this place having been really filled with the presence, the the Spirit of God. Amen? Consider some of these stories I'm going to read to you out of this book. It's called Jesus Freaks, right, by DC Talk. It's an older book. There's actually two volumes. I have the second volume also. But I want to share with you a few stories before we get into Daniel chapter 6 because I feel like it's appropriate maybe to consider what it's like in the rest of the world to really truly be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So this story is about a young man by the name of Ivan Moisev. He's from the USSR. This happened in the 1970s. The story goes like this. Although he had never been before, Private Ivan Moisev knew what awaited for him at the major's office. The communists were endlessly calling him to headquarters for talks, for talks, trying to re-educate him, to talk him out of his faith in God. It was lunchtime. The sun was shining brightly in the blue sky, and the snow was glistening. As Moisev walked along the snow sidewalk, snowy sidewalk, he praised God for this time alone, time to sing and to pray. The morning was so bright, at first Moisef didn't notice or didn't realize, and it suddenly caught his eye. A bright star began to fall from heaven. Like a comet, it came closer, and it became bigger and bigger. He looked up, and he saw an angel standing before him, bright and powerful. Moisef's heart filled with joy, but also with fear. The angel did not descend all of the way to the earth, but hovered for about 200 yards above the ground. He walked in the air above Moisev as as though he was walking along the same road. And the angel spoke, and he said, Ivan, go. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Ivan couldn't speak, but the joy was like a fire within him. Somehow, he made it to the major's office and knocked quietly at the door. The major he opened, uh, who was the head of the political committee, the political directive communist committee, looked up at the young soldier as he entered. And Ivan had been interrogated again and again by many others, but never had backed away from his faith. Still, this major was certain that he could solve this problem. Moisev, you don't look like a poor pupil to me, he says. Why have you not learned the correct answers yet, he asked. So God talks with you, does he? 
Oh, excuse me. So he answers. Sometimes there's a difference. Listen to this. Sometimes there's a difference between the correct answers and the true answers. Ivan answered, sometimes God does not permit me to give the correct answers. So God talks with you? Who is this God of yours? As soon as he asked the question, the major regretted it, and Ivan leaned forward in his chair, his face glowing with joy at the opportunity to share his faith. Sir, he is the one who created all of the universe. He greatly loves man, and he sent his son, and the major interrupts, and he says, yes, 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 I know, I understand the Christian teaching, but what has that to do with being a soldier? Do you disagree with the teaching of the glorious red army well no sir says Moisev. but do you not accept the principles of scientific atheism upon which is based the entire soviet state and military power of the army the young man replies i cannot accept what i know to be untrue everything else i gladly accept Moisev, no one can prove the existence of god even the priests and pastors agree upon this the major says the young man replies sir They may speak about not being able to prove God, but there is no question about knowing him. He is with me even now in this room. Before I came here, he sent an angel to encourage me. The major stared intently at Ivan. At last, he spoke wearily. I'm sorry, Moisev, that you will not be reasonable. Your persistence will do nothing for you except to bring great discomfort. However, through the years, I have found that men like you often come to their senses with a little discipline. I'm ordering you to stand in the street tonight after taps are played. You will stand there until you are willing to reconsider this nonsense about talking about God's and angels. Since the temperature is likely to be 13 degrees below for your sake, I hope you quickly agree to behave sensibly. Tomorrow we shall make a plan together for your political re-education. You are dismissed. The major expected the young man to hesitate, to reconsider. Instead, he squared his shoulders. He looked him in the eye, turned and walked quietly out of the room. Private Moisev, he called out. When the soldier turned around, the major noticed he was a little pale He had understood the order. You will obey my instructions in summer uniform. That is all. That night, as the bugle sounded, Ivan made his way down the stairs of the barracks and into the snowy street. He recoiled from the icy blast of wind that burned his ears and made his eyes to water. His thin summer uniform was no help in this bitter cold. He glanced at his watch. It was one minute after 10 o'clock. Tonight, He would have a long time to pray, but for the first time since he had been in the Soviet army, prayer did not come easily. He was worried. Could he stand there all night? What if he froze to death? What what, Would they really truly let him stand out there and freeze to death? What if he got so cold that he he gave in to their demands? The what-ifs flooded his mind and left it spinning. He knew he had to think of something else. Then he remembered the angel who had visited him that morning. The angel said, do not be afraid. I am with you. Suddenly he realized the angel's words were meant for tonight. Although he could no longer see him, Moisev knew the angel was still there with him, and he began to pray fervently. It was 12.30 when he was distracted in his prayers by the crunching of the snow. Bundled in their overcoats, hats, boots, three officers were slowly making their way toward him. Private Moisev, have you changed your mind yet? Are you ready to come in to get warm? No, comrade officers. As much as I want to come in and to go to bed, I cannot. I will never agree to remain silent about God. 
Even in the dim light, Moiseev could see the officers were amazed and confused. How could he stand such cold? Do you plan on standing out here all night long? Moiseev replied, I don't see how there's anything else that is possible for me to do. And besides, God is helping me. Ivan checked his hands. They were cold, but not too cold. He could still move his toes easily. It was a miracle. He looked at the officers and could see that even in their coats, they were shaking already from the cold. They were stamping their feet and slapping their hands, impatient to return to the heated barracks. You'll feel differently in another hour, the senior officer mumbled, and they quickly turned away. Ivan continued to pray for all of the believers that he knew. He sang Christmas carols. He prayed for every officer he knew of. He cried out to God on behalf of the men in the barracks. He gradually, or But gradually his mind seemed to be floating like somewhere outside of his body, outside of his head. And as much as he tried, prayer eluded him. Ivan was dozing on his feet at 3 o'clock. The senior officer on duty woke him and let him return to the barracks. For the next 12 nights, Ivan continued to stand in the street outside his barracks. Miraculously, he did not freeze, nor did he beg for mercy. Ivan continued to speak about his faith to his comrades and officers. He sang about the glory of Jesus in the barracks, though he was strictly prohibited. To those who threatened him, he replied, a lark threatened with death for singing would still continue to sing. She cannot renounce her nature, neither can we Christians renounce our nature. Soldiers around him were converted. They were impressed by his ardent faith. His commanders continued to interrogate him, trying to get him to deny Jesus. They would put him in refrigerated cells. They clothed him in special rubber suits to which they would pump air into this suit to compress his chest so that he couldn't breathe. At the age of 20, Ivan knew the communists would kill him. On July 11, 1972, he wrote his parents, You will not see me anymore. Then he described a vision of angels and heaven which God had sent to strengthen him before his trial. A few days later, his body was returned to his family. It showed that he'd been stabbed six times around the heart. He had wounds on his head, around his mouth. There were signs of beatings upon the whole body. And then he had been drowned. The colonel, the commander who delivered the body, said this to his parents. Moisef died with difficulty. He fought death, but he died a Christian. The father of this Christian hero writes to us, May it be that this living flower which gave the fragrance of its youth on the cross, it should be an example for all faithful youth. May they love Christ as our son had loved him. Listen to this story. Story of a young lady named Runkin. This was in the 1500s. Begins this way. I found one the inquisitor helped uh, or held up the forbidden book holding up a Bible to his assistant. Bring in the mayor and his family, and someone in this home has been studying the Bible. In the 16th century, Philip II had sent the Duke of Alba to Flanders to stamp out the Protestants who insisted on reading the scriptures in their own language. Anyone found studying the Bible was hanged, drowned, torn in pieces, or burned alive at the stake. The inquisitors found the Bible while inspecting the house of the mayor of Brugge. One by one, the family members were questioned, but everyone claimed that they knew nothing about the Bible or how it had gotten into their house. Finally, the officials asked a young maidservant, Runkin, who boldly declared, I am the one who is reading it. The mayor stepped forward, knowing the penalty for studying the Bible. He tried to defend her, saying, oh, no, 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 she only owns this Bible. She doesn't actually ever read from it. But Runkin chose not to be defended by this lie. The book is mine, and I am reading it and it is more precious to me than anything. She was sentenced to die by suffocation. 
The place would be hallowed in the city wall. She would be tied in it, and an opening would be bricked over. On the day of her execution, as she stood by the wall, an official tried to get her to change her mind, saying, so young and so beautiful, and yet to die. Runkin replied, my Savior died for me. I will also now die for him. As the bricks were laid higher and higher, she was warned again, you will suffocate and die within this wall. She says, I will then be with Jesus. Finally, the wall was finished, except for one brick that would cover her face. For the last time, the official tried to persuade her, repent and say the word and you shall be set free. But Runkin refused, saying instead, O Lord, forgive my murderers. And the final brick was put in place. And many years later, her bones were removed from the wall and she was buried in the local cemetery. I have one more for you. This is in 1970s in communist Asia, 16 or 17-year-old girl. The communist soldiers had discovered their illegal Bible study. As the pastor was reading from the Bible with guns suddenly, uh, when, guns, when with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship, the communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed the gun at the pastor's head and said, hand me your Bible. The pastor handed the Bible to the soldier. Reluctantly, as he handed the Bible over, he was mourned because it was his most prized possession. With a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet. He glared at the small congregation. We will let you go, he growled, but first you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. The believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. A soldier pointed his gun at, at them one by one. You first. The man slowly got up, knelt down in the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, forgive me. He stood up and walked to the door. The soldier stood back and allowed him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier had demanded. She spit only a little, but it was enough, and she too was allowed to leave. Quietly, a young girl came forward from the back of the room. She was overcome with love for her Lord, and she knelt down. She picked up that Bible. She wiped the spit off with her dress. And she says this aloud for all to hear. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. And the communist soldier put the pistol to her head and pulled the trigger. We take for granted our faith and our ability to worship freely with our faith as American believers. It isn't this way. We can't. The rest of the world, much of the rest of the world, can't gather and worship and sing and praise and study together like we're able to do. Much of the world, and we'll look at some statistics later on, they're persecuted. They, they come together in small groups, huddled together in homes, quietly worried that at any moment the doors could burst open and a pistol could be put to their temple and they could be commanded to recant their faith or suffer the consequences. This is the reality for much of the Christian church throughout the world. Daniel, the book of Daniel, inspires us. The man Daniel inspires us in so many different ways. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, a man who has said 
It doesn't matter if everyone else is eating the king's delicacies. Those things are not right, not fit for me, a Jew, to eat. So I will refuse to eat what the rest of the community is eating. I will withhold from those things because I want to remain pure to God. Daniel, who had three friends, who refused to bow to an image, to an idol that has been set up by Nebuchadnezzar, thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel, the same Daniel, who speaks forth the truth, even though he knows the truth is not going to be well received by the leadership. This man who would do whatever he could to make sure that God's word was known in the community. Today we're going to see Daniel once more persecuted just like his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, persecuted for making a stand for the Lord. Daniel should inspire us all to live as better Christians. We fail, do we not, if we're honest with ourselves, right? We, we have so much. We've been afforded so much. And the Lord specifically says, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And we have so much and we do so little. And there are believers on the other side of the world who have one page of Scripture. They've divided it up amongst themselves. They have one Bible, and they tear a page out, and they give it to one another, and they've memorized that one page, and that one page means the world to them. So little, but they do so much. Let's read what happens here to Daniel and allow this word to inspire us to live differently. Daniel chapter 6, we'll read the first few verses together and then come back and really look at this. Verse 1 says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps and, to, and throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one who would be one of these satraps who would give an account that the king might suffer no loss. Then Daniel became distinguished above all of the other high officials and satraps because he had an excellent spirit and it was within him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought uh, to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground of complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All of the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and, and the, the satraps and the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce it by injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document and the injunction. Now, let's pause there for a moment. To set the scene, if you have your outline, take that out. Your first fill-in-the-blank there is we're going to look at how Darius begins this division of government. So, to, again, by way of recap, by this time, Daniel is around 80 years of age, right? The, the, Pers the Medes and the Persians have taken over. They've conquered Babylon. They came in underneath the wall when they, they diverted the river Euphrates. A man by the name of Cyrus conquered this region and either sets up this man Darius to rule in the region of Babylon or it's just another name for Cyrus. Scholars kind of are at odds to that. So it's either Cyrus himself is Darius the king or it's someone he set up in his place. 
And what he does is he divides the government up in order to organize things, in order to make sure that they can control the masses. He sets 120 satraps over the region. The word satrap literally means a protector of the kingdom. So 120 people who will kind of be like advisors who will get word back to three main officials, high officials or governors that will report directly to the king. All right, now does this make sense so far? Of these three high officials, one of these high officials is Daniel. You remember Daniel has just kind of come into his own again. For years, he'd kind of been sitting on the sideline, but when the the king sees this writing upon the wall, Belshazzar sees this writing upon the wall, he calls for Daniel to come and to give an interpretation, and word goes around again once more that there's this man, Daniel, who has much wisdom, who's in communication with the gods. That's literally what it meant to be uh, to, or to, to have an excellent spirit. It's a phrase there that means to be in communion with the gods, the pantheon. That's the way that the Medes and the Persians viewed this. Here's a man who has a special connection with God. Now, it says there that he distinguished himself. The word distinguish, right? It means to be special. Literally, that word distinguish means to establish yourself as different or as better than the people around you. Okay, now I'm not talking about better than in, in, in that this was his heritage or that this was his nationality or his race, but there was something morally pure, morally different about Daniel than the rest of the people during this time. He distinguished himself. He set himself apart, literally. He was different than everyone else. In the King James, the old King James Version, it says this, and I think the version that you'll see up on the screen is in ESV, but in the original, the authorized version, this is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Speaking, Peter now speaking to the believers. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, listen to this, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people. When you look at that and you, you really know the Hebrew roots of this, That was a phrase that was used of Israel in the Old Testament, and it meant prized possession. It meant the apple of God's eye. So here, Peter's saying to the believers, you are a prized possession of God. You're different than everyone else. You're not the same. Amsugula is how you would say this in the Hebrew. You're my amsugula. You're my prized possession possession. You're my most valuable possession. You remember as a child, you had like maybe a stack of baseball cards, a couple of trophies or awards you won, and you hid those someplace that was very special to you, right? That's what God says you are to him. You're that prized possession. You're different. You're you're, you're distinguished from the rest. This is what the, the people noticed in Daniel. Daniel, there's something different about you. You're peculiar. You're strange. You don't seem the same. Now, here's the beautiful thing that I want you to grasp and hold on to here this morning is that Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God in parables. And in Matthew chapter 13, you can go and read this. And he, he, he said two parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who sails the seas. And he's looking for a precious pearl. And he finds the precious pearl. He finally finds the pearl that he's been waiting for his entire life. And so what does he do? He goes and he sells all of his worldly possessions and he comes and he purchases that pearl for himself. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure within a field 
And he quickly buries the treasure. He goes and he sells all of his worldly possessions so that he can have enough money to come in to buy the field. Why? Because he wants the treasure within the field. And so often these parables are interpreted this way by Bible commentators, that 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 treasure is Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus, you have to sell all that you have and come in to purchase or, or to enter into this relationship with Jesus. But I think that that is a poor rendering, a poor interpretation of those parables. Why? Because really, who is it that sold everything so that I could have a relationship with Jesus? It was God who gave everything. God gave his son upon a cross. He gave his son upon a cross. He gave his son, and then he came and he purchased the pearl, you and me. He gave his son upon the cross, and then he purchased the field so that he could have the treasure. Who is the treasure? The treasure was you and me. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977